Turn with me, the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel and chapter 5. We're returning today to our study of the life of David. You remember last week we saw David crowned king. Now today in 2 Samuel 5, I want to preach to you a message on this thought, stronghold. Einar Ingman was a, a corporal in the U.S. Army during the Korean War. On February the 26th of 1951, his company was given a dangerous mission. They were to scale a fortified ridgetop position that was held by the enemy and drive them out. Throwing all caution to the wind, Ingman charged the first enemy position by himself. Once he got close enough to the enemy dugout, he threw a grenade inside and killed most of the occupants, and then he charged with his rifle. It was at this point that the second enemy machine gun noticed and opened fire from only 15 yards away. And without hesitation, Ingman again charged this second nest alone. As he approached, a grenade exploded, sending shrapnel directly into his head and taking off part of his left ear. He was knocked to the ground. Undeterred, he rose to his feet and he pressed the attack when he was shot directly in the face, just below the nose, with the round going through his teeth and exiting through his left ear. This would be the last thing Ingman would remember, but what his fellow soldiers recalled was remarkable. Partially blinded and now missing a good portion of his teeth, Ingman rose to his feet and he continued the one-man attack. He fired his rifle until he was out of rounds and then finished off the second machine gun position with his bayonet before finally passing out from his wounds. And amazingly, Einar Ingman would survive. U.S. forces took the ridge that day all because of one man's incredible gallantry. For going above and beyond the call of duty, Ingman was later awarded the military's highest award, the Medal of Honor. It was given to him by President Harry Truman. And after the war, Ingman would serve in the inconspicuous role as a mail clerk in Tomahawk, Wisconsin. He passed in 2015. What an amazing story. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of grit and courage to attack the enemy strongholds in life. What is a stronghold, spiritually speaking? It is an area of unconquered sin where the devil is dug in, fortified, and stubborn. Maybe you've tried before a full frontal assault against the enemy's position in your life, but you were driven back. Maybe you've come to the conclusion today, I can't win. The enemy's grip is too strong. I can't defeat this sin, this addiction, this depression, this problem. And so, a stronghold, when it is left in your life, becomes a stranglehold. It could be an explosive temper. It could be a tenacious addiction. It could be a war against worry. Whatever it is, a stronghold is what stands between you and spiritual victory. Now, Einar Ingman and King David would have a lot to talk about if they were to sit over a cup of coffee. Because both of these men were warriors and both of them encountered strongholds. 
Now, in 2 Samuel 5, we're going to read that Israel's newly minted king is now given his first challenge, and that is to drive out the enemy from the city of Jerusalem so that he could now establish that city as his new capital. And while David fought against the enemy with swords and spears, we fight against Satan. He's just as dug in. He's just as deadly. And this following episode here in 2 Samuel 5 teaches us a lot about taking down satanic strongholds in your life. Yes, you can be saved. Yes, you can be born again and heaven bound. And yet still, the enemy can occupy territory in your life. I hope this message today will challenge you and also inspire you to get up and get in the fight again and drive out the enemy because he doesn't belong there. Now David shows us in this episode here three requirements for what it takes to destroy a stronghold. Number one is this. Taking down a stronghold requires surrender. You say, wait a second, Brother Derek, I didn't hear you right. Did you say surrender? Yes. In the Christian faith, you win by losing. You give up to go up. And so to take down a stronghold, the first thing you need is surrender. Notice with me the first five verses here. As the chapter begins, we see David's time has fully come. All the tribes of Israel now pledge their allegiance to David and they surrender their authority to him. Notice what verse 1 says. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. In times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. And so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. And at Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah 30 years. Three years. It's been seven years now since the death of Saul. David uh, has worn the crown since then. And during that time, there's been division and usurpers left over from Saul's regime. They were all vying for the crown. Especially a man named Abner, Saul's general. Saul also had a son, Ishbosheth. And these men tried to make a move for the crown, but they were repelled. Now that all these challengers to the throne are out of the picture, David can now fully unify all the tribes of Israel and he can rule over them as their single monarch. And we read here that his first order of business is to move his royal base of operations from Hebron northward to a more central location in the city of Jerusalem. Check out This map that's coming up, you can see where Hebron was. That's where David camped for seven years until this time. And then he moves to take the city of Jerusalem. Now, his desire to set up Jerusalem as the capital city is clever. Politically, geographically, and strategically. 
In fact, look at this image coming up. Politically, a, a new capital will be a definite break from the past regime of Saul. So this will signify a new beginning. We have a new king, now we have a new capital. Geographically, Jerusalem is also important because it's located right on the border of the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Judah. And so Jerusalem will now be the perfect spot for bringing all the tribes together. Strategically, Jerusalem was the place that he wanted because it was built on a hill. It was easy to defend. It had a supply of water. This was prime real estate. However, there's one big fly in the ointment. Before David can move into Jerusalem, he has to move out the Jebusites. Dug in like a tick. Verse 6 the Bible tells us, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, listen to their taunts, You will not come in here, but the blind and lame will ward you off. On the basketball court, we call that smack talk. <laughs> Thinking, of course, that David cannot come in here. Now, notice verse 6. The Jebusites, who are these people? Well, if you go back in your Old Testament, you'll discover that the Jebusites had been squatting in Jerusalem since the days of Joshua. And so up to this time, about 450 years, they had occupied this high place, this city that's fortified known as Jerusalem. And in fact, Joshua 15 and verse 63 tells us that the Jebusites were one of those tribes, one of those holdovers that they were unable to drive out from the promised land when they came in to take it. The Jebusites persisted like a thorn in the flesh. And quite literally, David had an uphill battle in front of him to go and take this city on a hill and to drive out the enemy. This was a tall order. Max Licato writes brilliantly about this. Try and put yourself in David's sandals for a moment. He said, quote, We can only wonder how many times David stared at the walls of Jerusalem. Even as a youngster growing up in Bethlehem, just a day's walk to the south, as he hid in the caves of En Gedi, surely he noticed Jerusalem rising above the landscape, a millennium-old cheerless fortress squatting defiantly on the spine of a ridge of hills, for as long as anyone could remember, pagans indwelled her. The Jebusites were within her walls like a coiled rattlesnake in a desert den. No one dared approach Jerusalem, and yet the crown had been scarcely resized for David's brow when he set his eyes on his newest Goliath. What an interesting metaphor. As you look at the enemy's strongholds in your life today, they seem no less daunting than what David saw when he observed that city. And yet, let me remind you, in many ways, David is an Old Testament picture of Christ. He's a preview of Jesus. And there's an interesting parallel between the people of Israel surrendering and crowning David as king and what happens when Christ comes into our life, we surrender and we crown Him King in our lives. He becomes the Lord of our life. Amen? But how many of you know today who've walked with the Lord 
that you didn't really have problems per se until Christ moved in and took the throne of your heart. Because all of a sudden, the sin that was once comfortable to you, the sin that you loved, the darkness that you were used to, the people that you hang out with, the way that you thought, the things you put in your body, all of a sudden, you're now at war with those things. Why? Because there's a new king sitting on the throne of your heart and he is ready to commit holy war and drive the sin out of our lives. Amen? Now, with the person of Christ, though, we have a new power. Whereas before, enslaved in the chains of sin, uh, inhabitants of darkness, uh, ruled by the uh, evil one, we did not at one time have power to stand up to the enemy. But now, there's a new king. He has a new agenda. And with the new king comes a new power to now, for the first time in our lives, wage war against the stronghold that the devil has set up. And Christ wants and, yes, deserves the throne in our lives. Christ won't share His kingdom with the enemy, will He? And so, for some of you today, you've, you've waved the white flag of surrender a long time ago, and I'm imploring you today to make an observation of the weapons of your warfare and pick up your armor and pick up your sword and get back in the battle again. Because Satan uh, has been there for too long. He's eaten your lunch too many times. He's stolen your joy, your peace, and your victory. And friend, I'm telling you, there's a new king, and if you surrender to him, he'll give you victory. Here's the application. The first step to taking down a stronghold is surrendering to Christ. Just as Israel came to David and said, David, now you're our king. We surrender to you. What do you want to do, David? David said, I want to give me the high ground. Let's go after the city that nobody else before me had guts to take down. That's what I want. You, there's a new king Christian in your life it's King Jesus and the way that you begin to experience victory the way that you take on the stronghold is you surrender to him now before the conquest there must be a coronation we must make him Lord of all and relinquish all of our rights to rule which inevitably means friend some behaviors some sins some dark citadels in our life they've got to go Right when Jesus comes in, He changes things. And if you ain't been changed, maybe you don't know the Lord in a real way. I have told you this story before, but it bears repeating. The British Navy Admiral Lord Nelson, he was a great force on the open seas. He defeated a Spanish admiral, and he went on board the defeated ship to take the surrender from the Spanish. Well, the Spaniard was there dressed, the opposing admiral all, in all of his regalia, and he approached Nelson to surrender. His sword was by his side. He had uh, his chest puffed out. He had uh, all the military brass, and he put out his hand to shake with the British commander, and Lord Nelson drew back, and he said, Sir, your sword first. There are a lot of people who think they can just walk up to Jesus and dictate to Him the terms of surrender. But friend, that's not the way it works. 
with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, He comes to you and He says, Whoa, 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 your sword first. Stop fighting Him. It's time to crown Him Lord and King in your life. It's time to stop playing games. It's time to give Him what He deserves. He's not content just to be resident. He wants to be president in your life. And friend, if He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. So number one, how do we take down a stronghold? Taking down a stronghold requires surrender. Some of us don't have victory today because we haven't surrendered. Number two is this. Taking down a stronghold requires strategy. It requires strategy. Notice, back up to verse 6 again. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Notice the pride. Notice the arrogance. Nobody's tried to assault this place in 450 years. David, who do you think you are? Verse 7, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, whomever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, <laughs> that being them, uh, right? who were hated by David's soul. Oh, don't tell David what he can and can't do, right? Some of you who are real competitive, you know what I'm talking about. You get in the heat of battle and somebody tells you you can't, that's just a, a triple dog dare, right? That's what David viewed. You don't know the God that I serve. You hadn't seen what I've seen. And seen God do the things in my life. Oh, you're picking a fight here and I'm going to, Put your money where your mouth is and show you just how great my God is. Verse 9, And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built uh, all the city around Milo and inward. Verse 10, And David became greater and greater for the Lord. The God of hosts was with him. When David first approached Jerusalem, notice verse 6, we read it there. He's mocked and he's jeered. The Jebusites pour scorn on David. And friend, when you get serious about taking on the enemy, he's not going to take that lightly. When you start kicking up dust in the devil's face, you can expect he's going to come back to you with doubt, discouragement, and everything he can throw at you, the forces of hell, to try and keep you silent and keep you defeated. He'll try and discourage you. He'll try and make you doubt the power and the goodness of God. He'll get you to question your very salvation. He'll torture you at night. He won't let you get rest. He may even touch your body. Yes, He can do that. You will hear the words of Satan in skeptics as well. Critics. You'll never change. <laughs> You're just like your dad. You're white trash. You'll always be white trash. You're out of your league on this one. <laughs> you think being religious and going down to church and singing the songs and listening to the preacher is really going to make a difference in your life. That's what the skeptics say, amen? Don't listen to the enemy. He'll always try and throw cold water on you before you ever get a start. I love what Zig Ziglar said years ago. He said, there was never been a statue erected to honor a critic. 
right? The stones that the critics throw in my direction, I pick them up and I make a monument to God's goodness and grace in my life. People will say, you can't. You know what I say? Maybe so, but God can. Too big for me? That's just the right size for God Almighty. God starts with the impossible and He goes from there. So, undeterred, David is by the discouragement of the enemy, and he lays out a bold plan to his men. We read it there. He said, we'll go up the water shaft, verse 8, and attack the lame and the blind who are hated by my soul. What an interesting strategy. And then, if we had time, we could go to First Chronicles 11 and verse 6, and we find out that David had a general named Joab, and Joab volunteers to lead the charge up the hill. Now notice this battle plan was unique and it was clever. You see, you need to know a little bit about the geography of the land. How David planned this strategy. Jerusalem was built near the spring of Gihon. Here's a picture of it. It's still there today. This spring supplied the city of Jerusalem with fresh water. Archaeologists have discovered this place and they've also discovered remnants of the pipe, the tunnel that the Jebusites built. It was a conduit pipe that was 230 feet long and it brought water from the Gihon Spring into the city of Jerusalem. And David's plan for his men is this. Joab, I want you to lead the men, take them through that conduit, crawl through that pipe. They'll never suspect it. They'll never see it coming. And you come out that on the bottom side, up through the city, and you're in, and you can take them out before they even know you're there. Wow! What a strategy. It's unorthodox. It's unique. It's unprecedented. Nobody had ever thought of this. Nobody had ever tried it. There was also no guarantee for success, so a little bit of risk here. But Joab, yes sir, willing to obey his commander-in-chief because he too had gotten tired of living in the shadow of the enemy. Sometimes that's what it takes. You get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You get tired of the devil uh, looming over your home and your family, and your finances, and your marriage, and your kids. Sometimes you need to just go to the Lord and say, Lord, what's the plan? What do I need to do to drive the enemy out of my life? I'm to the point now where I'm sick and tired, and I don't want to live under that shadow of oppression anymore. Let's make war. Now again, David is an Old Testament picture of Jesus. And in order to achieve victory, we have to be willing to obey the command of our commander-in-chief, who is Jesus Christ. And many times, friend, Jesus' rules of engagement aren't the ways of man. The orders that he gives you will at first sound illogical. They won't make sense. They will require faith. Because a lot of the stuff that the Bible tells us to do is going against the grain of the old fallen flesh. What does God say in Isaiah? My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than yours. And by the way, we've done it our way enough and seen where that got us. There ain't no victory in the flesh anymore. 
So as you study the Bible, you soon discover that the way that God says to fight the enemy is unorthodox. It's counterintuitive. And yes, even at times, it's inconvenient. Because it requires sacrifice on our part. For example, let me give you some hard evidence strategies that the Lord gives us. Let's say today your stronghold is bitterness. Somebody hurt you long ago. You can't let go. You can't forgive. You know what Christ tells you to do? very opposite of what you want to do. And that is go to the cross and see how much you've been forgiven there and then understand the grace of God because you've been forgiven much. You can turn and forgive much. It's not what you want to do, but it's the way of victory. Let's say today you have a problem with pornography. You are all the time falling in the pit of pornography. You know what Jesus tells you to do? He says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Of course, it's better to go maimed into the kingdom of God than to go to hell. Some of you who are struggling with that need to cut off the sin at the source. Maybe you need to do something drastic and, and get rid of your smartphone or your laptop or wherever you're feeding on that sin. It's not what you want to do, but it's the battle strategy. Maybe you have a problem with worry. You know what the Bible says you need to do? Worship more. The very thing that your heart doesn't want to do, I want to worry and fret and try and control everything and get the outcome that I want. God says, no, let go, trust me, hold your hands in praise. I've got this. And the more you worship, the less you'll worry. Maybe you're struggling today with a prideful heart. You know how you get rid of pride? You stoop down and you wash dirty feet. Not what I want to do. But that's the way of Christ. You serve others. Maybe some of you need to sign up and say, Derek, I'll work with kids. Derek, I'll sweep the floor. Derek, I, let me clean the toilets. Why? Because it's the way of humility. It's the way of service. It's the way you're going to get victory. Maybe today you've got money problems. Your money always runs out. Too much month and not enough Paycheck. You know what the Bible says you need to do? Counterintuitive. Opposite of what you would think. The Bible says you make God number one in your finances. You give and trust God. And divine mathematics will take place in your budget. And somehow God will provide. You see, the difference between victory and defeat, listen to me, is obedience. And I wonder how many of us know what to do but we don't have victory over our strongholds because we haven't obeyed yet. We don't want to obey. And that goes back to the first part. Have you really surrendered? If you've surrendered, you'll have the strategy and then you will obey. Listen to me. I've known people who've had strongholds in their life. Things that plagued them that they could not get rid of. And then the day, the moment they came to Christ... Those strongholds were instantly demolished. I have a friend who had an alcohol addiction. But praise God, when Christ came into his life, Jesus performed a miracle and supernaturally took the taste for alcohol out of their mouth. I have another friend who suffered from depression and suicidal thoughts. And when Jesus came in, he found all the hiding places where the demons were lurking and he kicked them out. And today they're full of joy. 
God does that. In some instances, the tearing down of the stronghold is instantaneous. But on the other hand, I know folks who come to Christ and the uphill battle is just beginning. I have a friend who came to Christ and he became convicted about his cigarette smoking. He wanted to quit. He knew it was bad. He knew it was a crutch. It was with a weak flesh. It was holding on to it. But no matter how hard my friend tried, the patch or the gum, he couldn't get victory over cigarette smoking. Then one day, as he was praying, the Lord spoke to him about it and said this, Why are you trusting in all these man-made solutions when you ain't trusted in me yet? He said, I got my strategy then. The Lord told him, he said, God told me, go get a cabin. He rented a cabin for three days out in the woods. He said, I went in that cabin and I prayed and I sweated and I agonized with withdrawals for three days. But when I walked out of that cabin, Jesus had given me the victory over addiction. Listen to the way Paul connects obedience and strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy strongholds in every lofty opinion, raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive, what church? To obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Friend, there is power available to defeat the enemy if you're willing to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I know this ain't popular preaching. I know it's like turning the lights on and seeing the roaches scatter. But that's what the Word of God does. It shows us, hey, this is the place where the enemy's been hiding in your life. Aren't you tired of it? It's time to serve him in eviction notice. Get behind me, Satan. And I've been praying and asking God for some spiritual victories in the life of our church. I'm not saying this taking down a stronghold is going to be easy. But with Jesus, it will be possible. Whereas before you said, I can't help myself, now you can turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're going to have to take the wheel. You're going to have to help me on this. You're going to have to show me. He may heal some of you instantaneously, and others you may struggle. But the point is this, obey Him in everything He's asked you to do because there's expedience in obedience, and obedience always takes us to the place of blessing. When you're obeying God and trusting God and being faithful to your king, you put yourself in the realm of blessing. Amen? Number three is this. I know I'm running out of time. Number three, what do we do to take down a stronghold? Well, we need surrender. We need a strategy. And number three, we need supplication. That's just an old-timey, old-fashioned word for prayer. Notice verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, but David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim, 
And David inquired of the Lord, What shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give me into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of this place is called Baal Perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up, go around to the rear, and come against them the opposite of the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. David had captured Jerusalem. He ran the Jebusites out like a bunch of scalded dogs. But there was no time to celebrate. When the Philistines, remember that's the people of Goliath, when they heard that David had taken Jerusalem, they came out scrapping for a fight. They didn't want David to have that fortress They didn't want David to have that real estate. So they said, we're going to go get him. And friend, isn't that the way that Satan operates in your life? When's the greatest moment of attack going to happen to you? It's right after a mountaintop experience. Right after a great church meeting. After a revival. After you've raised hands and praised God. You felt the victory at the altar. But we wake up Monday morning. And who's there on your back? Satan operates that way, don't he? Right after the moment of victory, run the Jebusites out. Here comes another enemy. (laughs) You see, friend, what I've learned about the devil, he don't play fair. He don't take a day off. He don't care if you don't feel like reading your Bible. He doesn't care if you don't feel good. You can't say, Paul's devil, let me take a time to get in the Bible and find a scripture before I fight you. He won't give you any advance notice. Why is that? Because Satan knows that we are weakest right after a victory because that's when we let our guard down. We think, I got it made. I don't have to pray. I don't have to read. I can just lay in the the victory of it and I don't have to do any more and then we fall. That's what David encountered here when the Philistines bum-rushed him. C.S. Lewis said this, There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Satan will always try and take back ground that he's lost. That's why he hates this church. He hates you, child of God. He hates what this pulpit stands for. And do everything he can to keep you from coming to this blessed place. He don't want you to see victory. He wants you to fall on your face. And friend, we need to understand that he doesn't play patty cake. This ain't nice rainbows and unicorns. I'm talking about life and death, heaven and hell. We're up against an enemy who hates your guts. And I'm not playing games either. Because I've seen too many lives destroyed this way. Satan is always going to try and win back ground that he lost. He's always coming after your kids. He's always coming after your faith. And your commitment to the house of God and the word of God. He'll never let up. 
That means we can't either. You'll notice that David did something interesting to help repel the Philistines. Notice twice in the Bible, verse 19 and verse 23, the Bible says, David inquired of the Lord. In other words, each time the Philistines attacked David, David went to God in prayer and said, God, I need guidance. God, I need strength. God, what do I do with my army? Where do I take them? Where do I position them? Will you deliver me? This shows us a couple of things. We can't win tomorrow's victories on yesterday's strategies. You have to have fresh direction from the Lord. You need fresh anointing, fresh oil, fresh wind, fresh fire, which means you better keep praying, child of God, because you can't stand up to this enemy. You need the supplications to be going from earth to heaven to find the strength that you need to get victory every day. Secondly, we see the priority of prayer. Remember I told you that David is an Old Testament picture of Jesus? And if you study the Gospels, you'll quickly notice that Jesus often retreated from the rigors of His ministry to do what? To pray. If David needed prayer, and the sinless Son of God needed prayer, how much more do you and I need prayer? Need to be fighting that battle on our knees and I know it sounds good, and you may be convicted about it now, but friend, if you don't make this a priority in your life, you will constantly live in defeat. Why do you think the church is flaccid and weak and corrupt, and why denominations are falling apart in our country, and this nation is going to hell every day in a handbasket? Why? Because we think, I can do it on my own. No, you can't. You don't even want to in your flesh. But you can have victory. You can take down the strongholds. Greater is He that is within me and He who is in the world. Some of you go into a stronghold every day. You know, strongholds aren't just spiritual, brother Stan. They're physical as well. You're surrounded by darkness. At your workplace. You're surrounded by darkness in your family. At your school. You go into a citadel of darkness. And you're surrounded because you're the only believer. But friend. Notice your weapons. You have the power of prayer. You have the spirit of God. It's time to account for the weapons of our warfare. As Paul said. And tear down some strongholds. In the power of Jesus. And waging war according to God's ways, yes, it's upside down from the world. We don't fight standing up. We fight on our knees. We don't fight from independence, but from weakness and dependence. We don't advance by accomplishing my will, but by saying thy will. Friend, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. But remember... We fight from the victory that Jesus has already given us. Let me help you notice something here. Remember, David is an Old Testament type of Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And he fought a real battle to destroy God's enemy. And 2,000 years from this point in 2 Samuel 5, the son of David, Jesus, went to fight against 
death, hell, and Satan. In fact, Jesus fought and died on the same piece of real estate that David was fighting over, Jerusalem. David fought to take the city. Jesus died hanging on a cross outside the city, cursed and rejected. David defeated the Jebusites with an unorthodox manner by going underground and going through a tunnel. And friend, I'm here today to tell you that Jesus defeated Satan with an unorthodox, a unique strategy that nobody could have thought of except God Almighty that had never been seen in Bible history. Instead of taking life, the Son of God gave His life. And yes, He went underground too. He went into a tomb, but He didn't stay dead. And He won't stay gone. And He got up three days later in victory through death and resurrection, he says, you can be more than an overcomer. My goodness. Are you ready to see strongholds topple? I am. I'm ready to see some of you move into victory in 2023 like you've never had in your life. It's there. It's possible. We need surrender we need strategy. We need supplication. You know, some of these things come out only by prayer and fasting. Let me finish with this story. Philip Yancey, in his book on prayer, he tells the testimony of his friend Adam and how the prayers of one persistent little old lady helped this young man. Listen to what he said. Adam moved into a new neighborhood, and there he met his neighbor, an 80-year-old widow, Mrs. Beck, who often asked Adam over to help with odd jobs. She usually paid for the work in apple pie. Miss Beck's faith was real, and she would often speak openly about the Lord. She would invite Adam to church and then say, How can I pray for you? You know, Jesus loves you. He said back, don't waste your time praying for me. I don't believe in that junk. At that time, Mrs. Beck did not know that Adam had a drug addiction. But at a low point of emptiness and darkness, Adam considered suicide. But he remembered Mrs. Beck praying for him. And he remembered what she would always say, Jesus loves you and I'm praying for you. Apparently, he reckoned that his life meant something more if she was willing to pray for him. His life was not a throwaway. His case was not hopeless because some old lady believed enough to pray. In his despair, Adam prayed and he received Christ. And soon after he received Jesus, the Holy Spirit told him, Now go tell Miss Back. Here's what happened. It was a lovely spring morning in May and Mrs. Back was hanging her laundry out to dry. I walked up to the fence with tears in my eyes. Miss Back, I've come to tell you I've been born again. She dropped everything, looked at me in surprise and delight and said with a firm voice, You stay right here, mister. I stood watch, watching her hobble up the back stairs with her cane and a few minutes later she came out with a big piece of chocolate cake. She said, this is a day to celebrate. 
After I ate the cake, Miss Back spoke with tears streaming down her wrinkled face. She said, I'm so glad you came and told me this because for the past 15 years, since you moved in to be my neighbor, I have prayed for you every day. And I prayed that one day you would come to know Jesus. And this is the day of salvation. And it reminds me, she said, that God still answers prayer. Friend, no matter how big the stronghold is, no matter how nasty the enemy is, he can't stand up to the prayers of God's people. As our musicians come today, and as we have a time of invitation, what are the strongholds in your life? Where do you need victory today? There's surrender, there's a strategy. There's supplication. There's power in God's people and in prayer. I don't know what area this message spoke to you. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you need victory over something in your life that is too big for you. Our altar is going to be open. All who can and will. Don't hold back, but please come. Can we stand and can we sing as we finish today?